0: Welcome to Group Talk, four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network, focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Leadership Journey with Bill Search.
1: Well, welcome back to the Leadership Journey. This is your host, Bill Search, and if you've been with me for the last handful of sessions, You know that, uh, I've been digging back into the, into the archives, if you will, of leadership classics. And in particular, I came across in my archives, a book written, oh, 30 years ago called the making of a leader by Robert Clinton and Clinton in his book examines the phases, a spiritual leader, Christian leader, oftentimes goes through on their ascendancy of responsibility. Now I use the word ascendancy very carefully because in our world ascending has this idea attached to it that now I've become somebody important. I've moved up the food chain in some sort of leadership structure and that I say is very worldly. That is not a Christian idea of leadership. In fact when a couple brothers come to Jesus, uh, and asks him to make them big time leaders in his kingdom. He gives them a real lesson on leadership that leadership is really servanthood. It's really a type of stewardship. However, I use the term ascendancy of leadership of responsibility because it, if you do rise through the quote unquote ranks of, of a church leadership, you, you really aren't taking on more power. If you think there's power in church work, you're either in a really weird church or you just have a deluded idea of what church leadership's all about. No, um, you take on more responsibility, but you don't grow in power. At least you shouldn't. And so uh, in Clinton's book, he, he doesn't talk about growing in power or in fame, but it's in responsibility. And so a terrific book, can't recommend it enough. And today is, um, as I'm reflecting on a chunk of his book, he, um, he, well, he has some ideas that I think of as really the four steps of spiritual leadership. So let me take you back to your story. So if you're with me here, let me ask you a question. What was your first ministry responsibility in the church, do you remember? Most of us do. Most of us can remember. We can pinpoint that time when someone said, "Hey, would you help out in the the uh, toddler kids section of the church, or would you help with uh, with uh, ushering, or or would you be or would you be willing to be part of a hospitality team?" And and you thought, "Well, I guess this could this could be kind of fun." And and after about three years, you end up on staff or some crazy thing like that that happens. It's a lot of pastor stories. For me, it was a first ministry in the church, at least the one that I would say, this was my first ministry where I really gave it my all. was a puppet ministry. Now I was born in in the early 70s and so grew up on the Muppets and always had a kind of a soft spot for puppets. In our church, every now and then, for the kids would have some puppeteer come in and do a little puppet show. We were a small church and I guess it was a small puppeteer outfit, but the puppets were cool, you know. And so I always liked them. And uh, and so we had some puppets laying around the church, and the youth pastor, he had a he had a heart for puppetry, and so somehow I ended up behind the platform as a middle school kid. And by the time I hit high school, I was commissioned to run the puppet ministry. Now I don't want to paint a vast picture here of the Muppet Show. This was small, small church, small time operation. But I remember just owning that thing and loving it and writing scripts for it. I can only imagine how wonderful scripts written by a ninth grade boy must have been. But but I wrote scripts and somewhere along the line, I had acquired a pattern on how to make puppets and it was cool it was next level puppets i mean it was like i'm not bragging but they look pretty cool and um and uh so you know i i remember thinking how do we upgrade the puppets and then once the puppets look better how how do we make the stage which was up till then just a piece of plywood leaning against some two by fours how do we make it out of fabric with a metal frame around it and i remember really thinking that thing through and really owning that thing. And, and it was really quite an experience uh, in those early days. So what was your early ministry? What, what, was, what was the first task that you accepted? Got that in your mind? Well, as Clinton was unpacking this idea of, of that first ministry assignment, he identified some stuff that made a lot of sense to me looking back. The first really step along the way is you have to learn to lead yourself. That's the first challenge. you got to learn to lead yourself. Self-leadership is probably one of the most difficult parts of leadership. In fact, it's the defining line. I think if you can't lead yourself, then obviously it's going to be really hard to lead anybody else, right? That seems to be obvious, but leading yourself involves owning a vision, not just accepting a vision. And and you can see that self-leadership when the leader doesn't have to constantly go back to someone else and say, now what do I do? Now what do I do? Now what do I do? In fact, for for some listening, this is how they found out they were leaders. Because when you lead yourself, one of the things you're inevitably going to do is bump up against the people that are leading you. Now, this can be really awkward. You can start having a different idea how to do something and the person that's leading you has a different idea from you. So, so there can be some, some awkward relatability here, right? And as I'm saying this, um, I'm sure scenarios have come to mind. In fact, I'm sure that you're imagining a face or two or 10 right now. Maybe it's your boss. Hope it's not your current boss, but it, it, it's definitely a face. Most of us, have, if we have a leadership gift, at some point or another, we had an idea of how to do something. And so in, in, that, in that scenario, one of the things we must remind ourselves as leaders, and this is a good thing to remind those we lead as well, is that while we're always thinking about all the things we're going to accomplish for God, God is thinking of how he is going to transform us. Now, he'll use us, and he calls us to be used of him, but he's trying to do something in a particular way. If, if we are used of God to accomplish a good thing, but we do it in a bad way, we undo the good thing we've done. Just think of every religious-related scandal that hits the news. Probably, as I'm saying this, there's probably a new one creeping up right now. And think about all of the good work of the gospel that's been undone because people have done something the wrong way. And so it is um, when you're learning to lead yourself and you bump up against somebody that uh, is challenging you. One of the important character development things that's going on is can you submit? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's in the Bible. Paul wrote it, it's in Ephesians five, that we're called as followers of Christ to submit to other followers of Christ. And so we, in self-leadership, part of self-leadership is learning to regulate ourselves so that in our own leadership, we do not become an authority unto ourselves and refuse to listen to anybody else. Now, having said that, there are times a challenge comes up where we realize I have a different way, a different idea of how to do this. And I cannot stay in this particular role. I must move from this role or from this supervisor or even maybe from this church in order to accomplish what God's called me to do. And when we make that decision, we have to do this with a degree of humility, with still a submissive spirit, but most of all, a reverence for Christ. That's what Paul says. Submit to one another out of what? Reverence for Christ. So we need to have reverence for Christ in whatever we do however we do it. And that will help us as we're leading ourselves, keep Christ the the central focus of our gaze. Well, the the second step of spiritual leadership here is to learn to lead others. Self-leadership, sometimes, not always, but sometimes gives way to the leadership of others. And for this to take place, we have to really learn how to love other people, how to shepherd other people, how to care for other people, how to take interest in other people. Now, this one can be very natural for some. Some people are very, just by their relatability, just by the way they're designed. They're they're extroverted, and they're they're very friendly and gregarious. And we all know that person who's never met a stranger. And some people are jealous of those people because it just seems like it's really easy for them. And for others, it's it's more of an art in progress. But we need to learn to lead others. And, and in this, um, we see different ways of doing that. But inevitably, part of learning to lead other people will be how to successfully navigate conflict. It, um, it seems that uh, we're all very, very sincere when we're all by ourselves. It's uh, In fact, uh, one of the old lines I love, it's an old uh, American literature quote, Uh, every man, I think it's Emerson or Thoreau. Every man alone is sincere. It's at the entrance of a second hypocrisy begins kind of a jaded cynical quote, to be honest, I'm not sure I completely agree with it, but it's interesting. Think about the people that God called you to lead that very first group leadership assignment. Maybe that was a small group, or maybe it was in high school or college or maybe it was two years ago, maybe it was pretty recent. As you learn to lead other people, part of, of learning to lead them is to seek to understand them, not to judge them. Now that is easy to say and difficult to do. We live in a culture and our blood sport is judging one another. I mean, think about it. We, we judge one another constantly. We pretend that we don't, but we do. And our world is in a constant state of judging whether or not you're a good person or not a good person, whether you look the right way or not look the right way. And sometimes the variables of of how we judge changes through the years or through the weeks, depending on the week. But as Christians, we're, we're not called to judge one another. In fact, we're, we, are, we have a responsibility to discern and we have a responsibility to understand and we have to have a responsibility to love. But actually, it's kind of liberating to think, I don't really have to decide. Is this a good person or bad person? Don't have to decide. And so as you learn to lead others, a big piece of this is learning how different people operate. One of the fun uh, things that's come out in the last, I mean, it's been out for probably a generation, but it's become very popular, at least the church circles I'm in, is called the Enneagram. Any of you do the Enneagram, what's your number? Just say it out loud right now. Even if you're by yourself, what is your Enneagram number? First time someone told me about the Enneagram, they began to describe it. And I said, well, that sounds so stupid. I don't, I don't buy it. I think it's just a bunch of nonsense. And my friends like you're probably an eight and I didn't appreciate being labeled. Uh, and so I took the survey cause she insisted I'm an eight by the way. So, <laughs> you know, things like the Enneagram, things like the Myers Briggs personality inventory or the old Taylor Johnson personality inventory. I don't care which one you use. There's a gazillion free ones out there. It helps us understand ourselves. It helps us understand one another. None of them are perfect. None of them are inspired, but they can be helpful. And learning to lead other people involves getting to know what makes them tick, how they relate. And then of course, you've got to figure out how to navigate through conflict. If you're leading other people, this is just an important part of step number two of leading others is you have to figure out how to navigate through conflict. Now, the good news is most conflict's a misdemeanor conflict, not a felony conflict. You know the difference, right? I mean, misdemeanor conflict is the normal bumps and bruises that occur in a normal relationship. Felony-level conflict might involve lawyers and police officers. If you need a primer on how to deal with felony-level conflict, read Henry Cloud's Necessary Endings. Great book. It will help you discern if you need to call in legal advice. But most conflicts, misdemeanor conflict, a misunderstanding, um, uh, uh, the wrong thing being said at the wrong time, Um, not quite hearing a person's heart, just hearing their words, Um, hearing something that wasn't meant to be said. You know, there's an Old Testament line in the book of Proverbs that it's, uh, Basically, here's my paraphrase. It's probably a good idea for a king not to listen too closely to what his servants say about him. I've been a leader in church work, church work for a number of years, for over over ten years. I've either been a senior or an executive pastor. And having uh, having been an associate pastor before, I know that I probably drive people nuts. And I gotta believe that there are occasional conversations of the things that you know are my glaring imperfections. And it's my hope to never overhear any of it. <laughs> but but learning to navigate through the occasional relationship bumps and bruises is a necessary feature of learning to lead others. And I I know you, even though I have no idea who you are as you're listening to this. Don't tell anybody. I admitted that.
0: Hey, all you beautiful small group point people out there, Jason bands off here, excuse me while I interrupt the wisdom of Bill's search while I ask you a few questions. How's your fall planning going? Do you feel like you're a little unprepared? Maybe nervous how it's going to go? Not enough leaders? Regardless of how you're feeling, we have something that will help you out for the next time. The Small Group Network is very excited to present the fall virtual lobby on October 7th. Our biggest and most popular event of the year is now going to be a virtual event this fall. The theme for the conference is leadership and will feature main session speakers, Bill Donahue, Dave Alford, and more. We will also be hosting over 10 breakout sessions, which will be available on demand following a live event for all registered attendees. Come ready for world-class leadership development, amazing breakout sessions, and plenty of discussions and Q&A time, and a chance to make some great new friends. Check out our Facebook page group or go to smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash to register. Now back to bill search.
1: The deal is this. Um, we all hate conflict. I mean, yeah, there's like a weirdo or two out there that's like a recre it's their recreational sport. They did intramural conflict in college, you know. And we don't like those people, do we? No, no, none of us really like it. But we must engage in healthy resolution a way of looking at it is this is that it's not conflict that we're after it's resolution we're after and if we start with the idea that what we're seeking is a really healthy vibrant relationship that might help us it might help us have a tough conversation and it might also relax us a little bit if we look on the other side of the tough conversation and think of all the joy that we'll have in each other's presence we just have to get through this one bit first i've been married 25 years this summer and Uh, my wife and I've had an occasional conflict or two, inevitable. And if you knew me, you'd be amazed that we haven't had more. Uh, I'm probably harder to live with. In fact, I know I'm harder to live with than she is. But as, as, as I think about one of the healthy dynamics of our relationship is our willingness to step into some of the matters of life that might be easy initially to brush under the rug but there's only so much you can brush under the rug before you trip over the things that are under that rug. And so leading others well means learning how to navigate through some of those tough conversations. In fact, now that I say that, you know, it'd be a fun podcast is just talk about conflict. Let's do that. I'll do that. All right. I'll write that down. Well, the number three, the third step, I should say, of spiritual leadership is to accept training, to accept training. Now, there are different ways of going about being trained as a person. There's the informal training, and that's happening constantly. We're learning uh, from leaders around us. We're making observations of people that we serve under. We're making observations of people nearby. We're making observations of other leaders, and we're just sort of picking things up. We're picking things up from tv shows and movies and books we read and we don't set out to say i'm going to rearrange my style of leadership based off this but sometimes we do and so the informal is important which is also the subliminal stuff that you got to think about what you're exposing yourself to the books that you read are going to make an imprint on you so choose well the movies and the tv shows you watch are not benign they will leave an imprint on you. You'll begin to talk like the main characters that you admire and look up to. You might even begin to talk and act like the people or the characters that you don't like if they're strong enoughly written in the film or the TV show. So this is all the informal stuff, but then there's the formal training. And the formal training is everything from the conferences that you attend, the you know part of the small group network we're big fans of very practical boots on the ground type of conferences you know we have accelerate that as a regional and kind of moves around the country and it is what it describes is to accelerate your group's ministry and then we have the lobby and that is an annual we have a virtual lobby coming up here that is uh, going to be a fantastic opportunity i'm going to lead a workshop in that i hope you attend But also uh, there's going to be a host of other uh, speakers and workshops at the virtual lobby that's coming up in this fall you don't even have to go anywhere just click on the link and then there's the actual lobby that's in southern california and when the rest of the united states is under some sort of snow advisory it's a pretty sweet time to be in southern california i'm not gonna lie no one has to twist my arm to be there it's a beautiful setting in, in settings like that, there's the formal training that takes place. Someone gives a presentation or gives a little talk or leads a discussion, and it's formal, but you come away with a new learning, with an application point. But formal training can include formal education. It can, uh, it can include formal certification in different programs. And all of those things can contribute to your overall training. Now, interestingly enough, I think that one of the keys, if we're going to successfully navigate this third step of accepting training in spiritual leadership, I mentioned earlier, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That ought to be, by the way, one of your primary Bible verses that you commit to memory. But that's also part of training, too. One of the things that's going to get in the way of learning anything is pride. Pride's going to get in the way of every relationship you have. Pride's going to get in the way of your walk with Christ. And pride's going to get in the way of your ability to learn anything. If you're not humble, you can't learn anything. Because what? It starts with, I I just don't know the answer to fill in the blank. This. And so that takes humility to be able to acknowledge that. And so submitting to one another has also got this uh, training aspect to it, too. I've learned a lot from the the various uh, voices throughout my years of ministry. 20 years ago, I was going to the Willow Creek Association Small Groups Conference and Bill Donahue Led that if you're in the world of small groups, I'm guessing you probably own one of Bill Donahue's many books on small groups And had the privilege of getting to know Bill personally And it it takes a a degree of, of humility to sit at someone's feet in a metaphorical way and say Teach me I don't know Now some of these people a guy like Bill Donahue or our good old friend Steve here at Saddleback Um, some of these people have such great reputations. It doesn't take anything at all to sit at their feet because we all know, boy, I don't know much compared to these guys. These guys really know something, but can you accept training from, uh, the person who leads a, maybe a smaller ministry at a smaller church in a smaller town than yours? Now they have something to offer. They have a lot to offer actually. In fact, sometimes they're on the forefront cutting edge of some ministry opportunity, some new key learning. And we're kind of going, why should I listen to you? You're not a published author or you are not uh, in a big church. And um, part of training, one of the things I love about the network is we have these huddles and they're regional. In fact, if, if there's not a huddle in your region, start one. Yeah, group up with some other people like-minded pastors that are trying to learn how to do ministry. Whether you're a full-time staff member or a part-time bivocational minister, we need each other to learn from each other. I've learned I've learned a ton. When I was pastoring up in West Michigan, oh dozen plus years ago, I realized, or a group of us I should say, realized there that uh, that what was working in other parts of the country wasn't quite working as well in our region, or at least at our church. And we were curious, was it us or was it, you know, our ability or inability to execute on a plan or was it, or was there some variable that was unique to that part of the country? And so we began to just have coffee and lunch with other small group directors in the region. And then that grew. We ended up doing some regional conferences and uh, attended by hundreds of people. it's really fun. But really, it all started from a simple fact that certain things weren't functioning the way we wanted them to. And we didn't know who to call. So we just started calling people in our region saying, what are you trying? What are you trying? What are you trying? And we learned a lot. To do that, to to own up to that, you got to be humble. So accept training. That's the third step of spiritual leadership. And the, and the fourth step that I'm going to talk about today before we go. Uh, reconvene this conversation next podcast. But the fourth one is to really get to know your own spiritual gifts. Now I know what you're thinking right now. Wait, step four of spiritual leadership is to get to know my spiritual gifts. Like, shouldn't that be step point half of one? I mean, shouldn't that have been at the very beginning? If we're talking about spiritual leadership, sort of, I mean, yes and no. I mean, you're learning your spiritual gifts as you go through all of this, but um, have, have you done a spiritual gift inventory? I bet you have. It told you what you wanted to hear, didn't it? I mean, if you wanted to be uh, thought of as a teacher, because that's oftentimes one of the most popular ones, it, it told you that you were a teacher, didn't it? Now, it's possible that you were honest and you took like an inventory and you answered honestly, but Um, it's easy to psych out the spiritual gift inventories. It's almost laughable, you know, question number seven, have you ever taught people and did you enjoy it? Oh, yeah. Question number 14, has anyone ever asked you to teach anything? Oh, yeah. So, you know, you can kind of figure out generally if I answer yes to these, I'm going to be considered a teacher. Now, here's the problem with this though. We oftentimes will answer questions we aspire to in, 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 in surveying circles, it's called the halo effect. That is, um, if a question is perceived as a positive and it has a halo around it, we're going to go with that question, even if it's not true. So, uh, so for instance, uh, when you, when the last time you went to your doctor's office for an annual physical and the doctor's like, well, how often do you um, exercise a day or exercise a week? And the answer is zero, but you were like, oh, probably like two or three. And it's because you don't want to tell your doctor like, well, you know what? I'd rather talk about the Netflix series I've been binging while I sit on the couch. It's about exercise. So featuring really physically fit people. No, 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 no. We we tend to answer the way we, we, we either sense other people want us to answer or we answer the way we, you know, want want to be perceived right and so um, this is why this is the fourth step of spiritual leadership and not the first step because the church is going to tell you what your spiritual gifts are someone once asked me um, I oversee ourt te- part of our teaching ministry here at my church and uh, a young guy came up to me once and he's like I don't know if I'm a teacher or not but I you know I kind of want to be and I'm not sure if I am how do you know if you're a teacher I said people ask you I said, good news. You 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 don't have to resolve that question. What you do is if someone asks you to teach something, you teach it. And if you did okay, they they were like, could you do that again? And if no one ever asks you to teach it again, it might be you just haven't had enough experience. So look for opportunities. And after you've tried it out for five or six or ten times, if, if everyone's like, hey, you've got a good personality. But no one ever comes up and goes, wow. That was really helpful. Thank you for that. You probably don't have the teaching gift then. And so it is with any of the spiritual gifts for that matter. If if nobody ever asks you to do it, nobody ever affirms it, you don't got it. And so the fourth step is the discovery and employment of your spiritual gifts. That's really going to be that fourth step of spiritual leadership, that you're going to discover what your gifts are. People are going to let you know, you're not going to have to guess. In your youth, you probably have to guess. When it's all new to you, you probably just have to try a whole bunch of stuff. But through the weeks, months, years, it's going to get filtered out and people are going to continue to ask you to do the things that you do really well. One way you know it is you love it. One way you know it is other people love it when you do it. And so if your gift is serving other people, helping other people, you're going to feel energized by that. And the people around you are going to go, you do that really well with a cheerful disposition. And if your gift is is shepherding other people, it's just going to be natural for you to be like a, a sheepdog that's just kind of going around the herd, circling everybody up. You're not going to have to be told to do it. And then the sheep are going to circle up because there you are, you know, doing your thing as a shepherd. So, this is an important part of the step, but along the way, what you're going to discover is what your, your mix of gifts are. We might all have elements of every spiritual gift, but there's going to be a handful of them that are going to be the ones that really stand out. And with that um, mix of gifts, you're going to notice some that are dominant. So for me, one of my dominant gifts is teaching. I Teach as I Shepherd I teach in one-on-ones I have a ginormous whiteboard in my office I write on it and people seem to like it I get affirmed and I'm employed to uh, do that aspect of my work as well as other aspects of my work so it's not my only spiritual gift but it's one of my more dominant traits of my spiritual gift and I know it not because I think I have it I know it because Now people keep putting me in positions to use it and then appreciating it. So here's the question. What, what is your spiritual gift? Do you know what it is? And if you, if you're not a hundred percent sure, think about all the things that you've been affirmed doing in church work. Think about all the ways that you have been encouraged in the work that you do. And, and what are they saying? And if you, if you still aren't 100% sure, do you have some trusted, godly friends in your life? I'm sure you do if you're listening to this. I imagine you do. What would they say? Just ask them. Just go to them. Say, here's my question. I'm wondering, what would you say are my spiritual gifts? And then along with it, go, what do you think is like my number one or number two? What do you think that is? Sure, you can take the inventories. Uh, they're all over the internet. There's no shortage of of spiritual gift inventories, and they're all pretty much, honestly, they're pretty much the same. But, but it's really the people in our lives that tell us what is up. And so, one of the overwhelming kind of threads that's run through all of these: learning to lead yourself, learning to lead others, to accept training, discovering employment as spiritual gifts, if. If you haven't caught on one of the big threads undercurrents in it is humility. And this comes back to really the big, one of the big ideas of leadership is that leadership isn't what we can do for God. It's what God is doing in and through us. And in order for us to really appreciate that, we have to understand that he's in the business of building the character of a leader. We're trying to always build a skill set. That's okay. We all need skill development. But God's primary concern doesn't seem to be skill development. He can give skill development out easy peasy. He raised the dead. He can give you any skill he wants you to have. That's not hard for him. Nothing's hard for him. You know what's hard for God? It's going to sound funny. Getting through our thick walled heart. That's hard. That's because God refuses to um, God refuses to uh, break through our pride. He will try to break our pride, but He will not supernaturally wave it aside, so He can do the necessary internal work. That is on us. That's going to be our responsibility. That's part of that's part of the joy of this journey. Is what we get to do alongside this. And that means that um, in humility, if we recognize, you know, God doesn't really need me here, but God has chosen to use me here. So God, in the process of using me, shape and grow me, deepen me, develop me, develop my character. Well, I hope that something in all of this has been helpful to you. And if you've listened and uh, you're part of our small group network Facebook group. Love to have your comments, thoughts, feedback on this. So make sure you drop a comment in there. And make sure uh make sure you go back and uh if you missed uh Nick Lens reading lens uh talk on Ted Lasso, if you if you miss that, go back, go back and listen to that podcast. It was outstanding. And uh even if you'd never seen Ted Lasso, besides than wanting to watch it, you'll get a great deal out of out of that podcast. Well, my friend, until next time, this has been Bill Search. It's been a joy to be with you here on the leadership journey. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically.